Hello and welcome to the East Baltimore Graffiti Church's podcast. We are so excited to have you join us today. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at ebgraffitichurch at gmail.com. Or you can check us out on our website at ebgraffitichurch.org. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 13. Nehemiah chapter 13. has several titles for this morning's sermon. Uh, my favorite one that is not on any of the slides or your paper uh, was that a pastor that I read online this week. His title for his sermon on Nehemiah chapter 13 was um, Clean Up on Aisle 13. Clean Up on Aisle 13, and you'll see why in just a moment. I appreciated that. As you see the slide on the wall, you will know that I had trouble making up my mind uh, this week. Because I really liked read, remember, repent, repeat. Read, remember, repent, repeat. Uh, And I also liked reading the Word of God. Because what happens when you and I read the Word of God? So we're going to look into Nehemiah chapter 13. We're going to finish. We're finishing this journey from Ezra and Nehemiah for several months. Right? Ezra came back um, to Jerusalem with the first batch, the first group of exiles, and they rebuilt the temple, right? Nehemiah came back many years later with a burden from God and weeping and mourning and fasting to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem and encourage the people. Ezra was a scribe like a, and a priest. Nehemiah was a working man who was a leader. Different skill sets, different gifts, yet each man called by God to bring God's people back to, uh, to worship. So, so here we are, we're finishing this journey, we've learned so much. Uh, I will try to restrain myself from going all the way back and doing a review because you know I like to do that. So I'm, I'm restraining myself today. So I was thinking today uh, about, did, about something that happened when I was a kid. And then you talk about the sins of the fathers being visited on the generations after, right? Well, you talk about generational sin. I got a good one for you today. So one time my parents went away for vacation, right? They were going to the beach and I had a job. And so I used that as an excuse and I really did have to work. I was about 14 or 15 years old. And I said, I'm staying home. I'm not going on vacation. I have to work, right? I wanted to sound grown up. They said, yeah, nice try, dude. You are not staying home by yourself. And I said, yes, I am. I have to work. Well, they said, well, we're going to get, and and this happened more than once, but I'm just telling you just one because I'm not going to tell you all my sins. So they said, well, what if, what if someone, one of the older guys from church, you know, older teenagers, like, what if uh, one of them comes and just stays, stays here for a few days, we'll let you stay home. So I invited my friend, who's now Reverend Dr. Ken Burge, but he was in Bible college at the time. He was a couple years older than me. And so he came over. He had to go to work in the day, but in the evening, he was going to come stay at the house, make sure there was no nefarious activities going on at, at the household. So I couldn't throw any wild parties that time. It, there, there were others, other times. But what I did do when Ken was out one day, I decided that my dad's 30-foot-long 1966 Cadillac sitting in the driveway needed to be taken out for a spin. I was 14 years old, mind you, so I had a friend of mine. He thought that this was a great idea also. And so we took this car, and you know how long those old Cadillacs are, right? 
And, and so we took this thing out for a spin, and I had really um, hardly ever driven. I was only 14. And we went down in the park, and we were doing donuts. I was seeing how fast I could drive in reverse like they did on TV, you know. Um, and, and I went up to Roy Rogers to get a burger, and I hit a car in the parking lot. And so I took off, of course. And then I went back down to the park to do some more donuts. And when I was driving in reverse like they do on TV, I wanted to hit the brakes and spin around like the guys do on TV. I smacked a tree, and I mean, I scrunched in the whole back of that Cadillac. It was over. My life was over. I knew uh, death was imminent. I had about three days before my parents came home from the beach, and so I was calculating at what point I would call them and tell them what I had done. Well. Fast forward many years, um, my wife and I went on Easter vacation down to the country to visit my parents. Uh, and don't you know, my son decided to have 150 of his closest friends um, over to the house while we were gone for a three-day soiree. All kinds of nefarious activities. It got so bad, one of his friends called me while on vacation and snitched them out. <laughs> He said, Pastor Charlie, I'm afraid for what's going to happen to your home. I'm not even going to tell you everything except that you might not have a house when you get home. Well, true story, a friend of mine, friend of mine was a sheriff's deputy, right? And so I literally, I called the police from far away. And a sheriff's deputy got a few of the boys together. They were literally driving. So, so they were meeting in the school parking lot and they were commuting people across the street to the house for this party so that they didn't block up the whole street, right? I'm talking drugs, alcohol, s s swimming in a little swimming pool out front, liquored up. So my friend went and I said, look, don't let anything happen to my dogs, right? But y'all gotta, <laughs> please don't let anything happen to my dogs, true story. I said, but you've got to go save my house. Well, he did. He got three or four of the deputies together, and they raided my house. I called a raid on my own, on my own house. Chase them through the woods, chase them down the street. And, and, my, yeah, and my son got locked up because they had drugs in the house. Anyway, all that to say, this is exactly what happened in Nehemiah chapter 13. You say, what? Did. Remember, Nehemiah was there for 12 years. They rebuilt the wall. He instituted, he put leaders in place. They, they made a, renewed their covenant with God. They cried, they mourned, they fasted. Nehemiah, they, they said, God, we will never neglect your house again. We're not going to remember the sins of the forefathers and the history of the Israelites in chapters 11 and 12. And Anthony preached one of those sermons a couple of weeks ago. And, and so we understood that the Israelites already had this history of God, with God that they would read, remember, repent of their sins, and then repeat the whole process all over again. So Nehemiah could only be gone for so long. After 12 years, he had to go back. He had to go back to Artaxerxes. Remember, he was a cupbearer of the king. He had a job. He was on a 12-year-long mission trip. He had to go back. So you know what happens when a cat's away? Oh my. So Nehemiah has to go back to Darius in Persia. And here are the Israelites, right? So on that day, they read the word of God, uh, the word of Moses. They called it the book of Moses, right? And Miss Janine read the scripture. Um, 
and they realize something. They realize something. Remember that the Moabites and the Ammonites back in Deuteronomy, I'll get there. Back, yeah, back there. So what they did was they hired this guy in numbers. They hired this guy named Balaam, and he was supposed to curse the Israelites, and he told them, and, and they called for him to come, and he said, nope, can't come. And then they sent some more people. They said, nope, I'm not coming. Then he sent more important, anyway, by the fourth time, he said, oh, my gosh. So Balaam goes. And the king says, I want you to curse these Israelites. Balaam says, I can only say, I can only tell you what God tells me. And as it turns out, he, he, he refused to curse the Israelites, but he blessed them. And the Moabites and the Ammonites, were, they were enemies of Israel. So you remember that when Nehemiah and the guys are building the wall, they experience this opposition, chapter 4, chapter 6, right? There's Sanballat, there's Tobiah, um, there were some Arabs, and they threatened to kill them. They were going to marshal and get a group together. And so, so all of a sudden, they're reading the word of God, and they realized that they weren't supposed to, one, they weren't supposed to have all these people in the worship area with them, in the around the temple, not even in the outer courts. Foreigners were not allowed. So what they did in verse 3, when they heard the law, so, so what they did, um, when, we read, when we're reading the word of God, it will do one thing, it will reveal ongoing sin. It will reveal ongoing sin. So in verses 1 through 14, we're going to see a few of these things that are happening. So uh, next slide there. You'll see all four of them um, probably at the same time there. So one, reading the word of God as it reveals ongoing sin requires taking action. It requires taking action. When you and I read the word of God, and we recognize that either we're living, I, you, me, we're either living in disobedience to God, or we simply realize we've been neglecting something in our worship, which can be sin, maybe not always, but so, because we have these gray areas, right? But we're reading the word of God, and we say, oh my goodness. Or sometimes we're reading the word of God, and we just know we're wrong. When you're, you know how they say, when you're wrong, just say you're wrong. And, and sometimes we're just wrong, and we're reading the Word of God, and it reveals this ongoing sin in my life, and I know God is saying, take action. Take action before you get in trouble. So that's what happens here. So what did they do? They excluded all the foreigners, and I think not, it says, from Israel, and I really don't think they did that, and we're going to see later on why. Not from, like, the whole country, or they didn't just kick them all out. I, I think they were excluding them. There's a good case to be made just from worship, right? But then Eliashib, he's a high priest, right? He's one of the pastors of the church, right? One of the pastors of the temple. And they realized that um, he was related to Tobiah, who was one of the enemies of the Israelites, who was wreaking havoc and wanting to do harm to the Israelites. To, they give this guy, they put him up like the Holiday Inn Express. He got his own room in the temple. Now what I learned this time, now what I learned this time that makes it even worse, they moved out some of the instruments of worship, the elements of worship. They moved out maybe some, some candelabra, some candlesticks, some basins, bowl. They moved, they emptied some pots and pans and some elements of worship out of this room 
and they give it to this dude. And this dude is like all up in the temple like the Holiday Inn Express. But not only did they move him in, they moved God's stuff out. They prepared a large room for him where formerly they put grain offerings, frankincense, utensils, tithes, grain, wine, and oil prescribed for the Levites, for the singers and the gatekeepers. But all this time, I was not in Jerusalem. So here, Nehemiah is speaking in the first person. So he's back. He's back. We're going to talk about this in a minute, about how long was he actually gone. But let's just keep it simple and say he was probably gone for seven, anywhere from like seven to ten years. And we'll see why later in the chapter. I was not in Jerusalem. I had to go back. We just talked about that. He said, it was when I saw that they prepared a room for him in the courts of the house of God, it was very displeasing to me. I think that's like an understatement. Because listen to what he did. I threw all of his stuff out of the room. I put his stuff on the street. I kicked him out. I cannot believe what I'm seeing. Nehemiah, the leader of God's people, says, I can't believe what's going on here. When we recognize that when we're reading the Word of God and it reveals sin in my life, in my family, in my, in my church even, right? It requires taking action. Secondly, it reveals the need for repentance. Um, I didn't catch on to this. I'm a little slow. This is so cool, okay? This is so cool. We're going to see two things. We have these three sections of chapter 13, and in each section, when God's people, when Nehemiah, when the Lord moves and they make something right that's wrong, um, two things happen in each one of these sections. We're going to see it here in verse 9. Then I gave an order, and they cleansed the rooms. And then I returned there the utensils of the house of God with the grain offerings and the frankincense. He said, we kicked, we kicked our enemy out who had no business being in there, right? This foreigner, this guy who even is our enemy. But then we put God's stuff back where it belonged. Sometimes you and I, we need to put God's stuff back where it belongs in our lives, in our life. You fill in the blank. I'm not going to suggest anything that you need to put back in God's room in your life. I know what some of those things are in my life. So in verse 9, they do that, but he cleansed the rooms. Sometimes I have to clean my room. Sometimes I have to clean my own house. I have to clean my own house. Now listen, the Israelites, after all their history with God, boo-hoo, crying on the floor and everything else, repenting, renew their covenant with God, and they got this bum living up in God's house. That didn't sound very pastoral, did it? But they do, so they put him out, but they cleansed the room. This idea of washing something with water, this idea of, of cleansing, you know, the water in the Bible, both in the Old and New Testament, very often signifies cleansing or, or symbolizes cleansing. And so they purified this room and put God's stuff back where it belonged. But not only that, there's one other thing that's going to happen in each one of these sections. In each one of these sections, Verse 14, 
Remember me for this, O my God, and do not blot out my loyal deeds, which I have performed for the house of my God and its services. Nehemiah prays. Now look, Nehemiah is going to pray three times in this chapter, and each time you hear Nehemiah pray, you're going to think, man, this dude's feeling pretty good about himself. He's making sure God doesn't forget him. Does he have some pride issues? Does he, does he want to make sure God's writing down all his good deeds? People do ask those questions, and the answer is, I don't know. But I, do know, but I know this. Each one of these three sections, Nehemiah is praying. He's cleansing something or asking God to cleanse it or telling the people we need to clean up our act in front of God, and then we need to pray. So, they restored what was right. They put things back in the room. And then you'll also see in this section that they are installing or putting reliable leaders back in place. Look, they did some of the very things they swore they weren't going to do. I know I never do that, right? I bet you don't either. I am never doing that again. Seriously, as people in recovery, and you know, you guys know how I am, how I feel about Celebrate Recovery. And as a person in recovery, I can tell you in active addiction, even as young as I was, I still remember, I'm not feeble yet. Oh, Jesus, I'll never do that again. Woo! We got away with one last night. Woo! I'll never do that again. Or at least not for a couple hours till I get a, till I get a meal in me and start feeling a little better. Or at least not till later on tonight when we go back out again, right? Yeah, some of y'all are grinning because you know. Yes. So the Israelites do this. Look what happens here. He said, I discovered in verse 10 that the portion of the Levites had not been given them or the singer. They didn't pay the priests. They didn't pay the preacher. They didn't pray the worship band. And so they all went home. Why? They went home because they had to go to work so they could eat. Because the, the Israelites were supposed to bring in the tithes. That was someone's job. They were to count it put it in the storehouse. The portions of the wine and the food and the grain and, the, and some of the meat was to feed the priests because their job was to stay there and, and to serve the people and to do the worship in the temple with and for the people. And they couldn't because other people didn't do their job. And so the priests went home. They had to start working their fields or doing whatever, whatever their job was back home. The singers went back home. Remember last week we talked about the dedication of the wall, right? We talked about my new music video. And um, I'm not sure who I'm going to have produce it yet. I'm talking to a couple people. I don't know. Uh, I, I, uh, P. Diddy, maybe even Kanye. Y'all know Kanye's getting some traction again lately. But one, one and, and because the singers came up on the left with, with Nehemiah, the other singers came up on the right with, with Ezra, the old dude. And see, I might even make a cameo in this. I might even go in there. My, and they were dressed to the hill. It was a time of worship. The band was playing. You could hear the trumpets, right? And so just a couple years later, a couple years later, the singers had gone home. The priests had gone back. Everything was a hot mess. And I can't imagine, I'm sure there's some stuff in, not in here because I imagine like maybe I'm not like Nehemiah. He's probably a very God, but maybe Nehemiah said some things that some of us might have said if we were in charge and came back and saw what was going on, right? So, so we see here, all Judah, so I reprimanded the officials. 
I said, what in the world have you done? Why is the house of God forsaken? So, um, um, use your words, Charlie. Let me get to it. I had it marked out, y'all. I promise I did. Anyway, you saw what they said at the end of chapter, ha, 938. Now, because of all this, we are making an agreement in writing and on the sealed documents are the names of our leaders, Levites and priests. Oh, end of chapter 10. Thus, we will not neglect the house of our God when they renewed the covenant at the end of chapter 10. And then we see right here, we see right here in 13, it says, right here in 13, he says, when they're restoring the tithes, I reprimanded the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken? See, when we're reading the word of God, it reveals sin in our lives. That had to, and, and here's a and here's a thing too. Now, at this point, I think he put some of the same leaders, I think he put some of the same leaders back in place here. He reprimanded them and said, "Now go do your job." You don't always beat people down, fire people, and throw them out on the street. You know why? Because God's a God of redemption and a God of forgiveness. But Nehemiah also, you know, is a strong leader. Nehemiah is not a plaything. He comes back. He sets things right. And you see, he prays. So they wash the room. It symbolizes the desire for forgiveness and cleansing. Verse 14, Nehemiah prays. Number two, verses 15 through 22, we're going to see that the Israelites are restoring, restoring covenant relationship in verses 15 through 22. Um, so what do we mean by that? You know, they had renewed their covenant with God already. In those days, though, in verse 15, I saw in Judah some who were treading wine presses on the Sabbath. They made good wine back in the day. It wasn't Kool-Aid. It was the real thing. He said, on the Sabbath, and bringing in sacks of grain and loading them on the donkeys. I can picture, you can picture Nehemiah walking through the town walking out past your farm and my farm and on Sunday when we're supposed to be in church I'm out there treading my wine presses making making some good wine and you're out there working in your field bringing in the crops so you can make that money somebody else is curing the meats and taking it to the market that's supposed to be closed on Sunday and Nehemiah is saying have these people totally lost their minds well the Bible doesn't say that right right Picture Nehemiah going through and saying, what in the world is going on here? He says, so they're neglecting the Sabbath. They're selling food. And then they're doing business with the men of Tyre. You know, Tyre and Sidon. These were their neighbors who would bring in fish because they, their country was on the coast. Or was Tyre the island? I mix up Tyre and Sidon. One was the island. Anyway, so they bring in the fish, and then remember, when, remember what Nehemiah just did when he left, right? He closed the gates, put guards up on the gates, and didn't let anybody in or out on the Sabbath. Well, somewhere they must have stopped doing that. Just seven or eight years later, maybe ten, they stopped doing that. So they were living there, 
with imported fish, all kinds of merchandise, and they sold to the sons of Judah on the Sabbath, even in Jerusalem, right up in church. I mean, like right outside the temple, right in God's city, saying, yeah, you know, remember that covenant relationship we just renewed with? And yet, lest I sound just a little self-righteous, you know, I think about my own life and my own, and my, and my own story, and I think about the recounting of Israel's history that, we, that you learned about, we learned about a couple of weeks ago. Isn't it much like my life and my own relationship with God sometimes? Sometimes I will read the word of God. I'll remember the good things that God calls me to do in obedience to him. I'll repent of my sins and then I'll repeat the whole process. Sometimes six months, sometimes a year, Sometimes eight or ten good years, you might get a good run, right? We still live in this humanity and in this sinful flesh. And as children of God, saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, and eternally gifted life through his resurrection and conquering death, we still live here during this lifetime in this flesh. And our lives, my life certainly, I won't talk about yours, I live out this cycle often, often. And so what is the answer? To remember and to repent and hopefully not repeat the sins of the past, right? So they're doing this. I reprimanded the nobles of Judah and I said to them, what is this evil thing you are doing by profaning the Sabbath day? Now listen, I believe um, in in our New Testament covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ, I do not know that there is a 24-hour Sabbath where we should be forbidden from work. Um, I think, was that just for the Old Testament? And if so, is everything in the Old Testament, do we just ignore it? What did Jesus change? What didn't Jesus change? But I will tell you one thing for certain. Um, I'll tell you that Charlie needs a Sabbath day in his week. I need a day where I'm not at work, I need a 24-hour period where I can just um, reflect on my relationship with God, take a day off. Often when I have my day of rest, I will go out in nature because that is just somewhere where I, I just see the beauty of God's creation up close, and I thank him for it, praise him for it. And Diane and I will just unplug, leave the phone either locked in the car or turned off in my backpack, and we all need a time of Sabbath for our souls. Now, I'm not telling you what your Sabbath should be, but here in the Old Testament, prescribed by God, and here is why now, and here is why it was part of their trust relationship with God. God said, you work hard six days, and then you honor me. God said, I created for six days, and I rested on the seventh. You work hard for six days, you trust me for your Sabbath. God said, and then on the seventh year, they were supposed to let their fields rest. And lo and behold, don't you know, all these hundreds of years later, we figured out that rotating crops and resting fields is, is a very good and healthy thing for the dirt and for the farm and the farmer and everybody else, right? God, and then on the 50th year, and they were also supposed to release debts. Then on the 50th year, they weren't supposed to work at all, and they were supposed to return people's land to them, set servants free if you had indentured servants or slaves. 
Why? Because they were to trust God for their income first. And watch this. All the people who were there that didn't belong there, like from Tyre, Sidon, and other places, they were supposed to see the goodness of God in the lives of the Israelites, and then maybe they too would turn to God in faith. Does that sound familiar? You and I, in our relationship with Jesus Christ, we are called to live in such a manner that those outside the faith are attracted and drawn not to you and me, but to Jesus when they see how you and I choose to live in obedience to our God. They trust their God so much that they fill in the blank. This is why, like back in the day, uh, when I went to church, when I was a kid, you know, most of the stores, a lot of stores were closed on Sunday. All the liquor stores were closed on Sundays. If I went over to my friend's house, uh, his mom would, would let him go outside, right? We would eat dinner, but then his parents, they shut the house down, took a nap on Sunday, and went back to church on Sunday night. I know, that's old school, right? Church on Sunday night, yep. Some of y'all know what that is. But then, um, but then at Jim's house, we were supposed to stay outside, and they weren't supposed to hear from us till we came back in for dinner. Uh, so they cut the kids some slack, but there was a Sabbath, and why? They were honoring God. They didn't go to their jobs. They didn't work. And, and so whatever that Sabbath time is for you and for me, it's just all part of trusting God. And then the people who don't know our Jesus see how you and I live, and they see how God provides for you and me, but then they see us living in obedience to our God, and someone may want your Jesus because of how you live. Oh my, I'm living my life in such a way that people want to know my Jesus. That's all God wanted for the Israelites. Nehemiah understood this. The people lost that trust, and they went back to doing what was comfortable. Oh, I just said something good by accident. They went back to doing something that was comfortable. Yes, I had a couple of people who um, uh, have permission to speak into my life and say it however they feel. Sometimes they really do. And, and they said, Charlie, you have your comfort zone. You have those places where you like to hang around, and that's what you like to do. And they say, you need to get uncomfortable. Mm, that's what they say to me. I don't like it either. So... So we see what's going on here in 15 through 22. They are receiving course correction from Nehemiah. It says, stop working. Leave the wine alone till tomorrow. Leave your store sign door closed. Leave the closed sign on your business till tomorrow. Go to church. Let the people see you really trust in the God that you say you believe in. And then remembering the past remembering the past. Verse 18, did not your fathers do the same so that our God brought on us and on the city all this trouble? We're still, we're still under the thumb of the Medes and Persians from the last time our fathers disobeyed God. And here we are, you guys are doing it all over again. We're not even free yet from the last time we did it. We're in bondage. We're in bondage to these people, to these pagans. They let us come back and rebuild our temple and rebuild our wall. And man, no sooner than the mortar drives into bricks, you guys are out there forgetting about the covenant you just renewed with your God a couple years ago. Aren't they terrible? Mm -hmm. But we don't do that. So, so remembering the past has value. Remembering the past has value not to live in it, not to live in it, but so that we don't go back. 
to the former sins of our former lives. There are sins, remember we talked about generational sins and family sins. And you may have figured out, some of you, I could see it in your eyes and you nodded your heads a couple times a few weeks ago, didn't take you too terribly long to think about what the generational or family sin might have been or might be in your family and in your people, right? I didn't suggest anything, I'm thinking about my own. And, and, so, and I know what that is too. And I know how easy it is, how, how easy it is for me to slip back into that. And my father and I, my dad, my father and I, we talk about this sometimes. We do. In my mom's family, in my mom's family, Jesus will come back before they talk. Oh, I shouldn't say that. It's not true. My mom and I had a great conversation the other day, and I'm being recorded. But my dad and I, my dad and I do talk about um, this, this, this things that we are susceptible to through the generations of our family. And truth be told, my mom has been part of some of those conversations. Instead of trying to walk it back like a politician. Number three, number two, uh, before we go, C up there says relying on faithful servants. Relying on faithful servants. He said, um, he put people, uh, he reprimanded the people. And remember, again, verse 22. For this also, remember me, O my God, and have compassion on me according to the greatness of your mercy. Nehemiah knew for the sake of the Israelites and for his own sake that God is merciful. But what did he do in 21? Before I forget it, he warned them and said to them, Oh, he was warning the he was warning the other people. Nehemiah, and, and you see, Nehemiah didn't just reprimand the people. Nehemiah figured out a solution to the problem. So he told the people who were hanging outside the wall and the gates um, to come in and do business on the Sabbath that you can't even hang out there anymore. He said, if you keep hanging out out there, I'm gonna come out and do something to you. So really, he wanted the Israelites to have the best possible chance to obey God as a leader. So as a leader, he was taking good care of his, of his people as well as God's house. So relying on, faithful, uh, relying on faithful servants. Thirdly and lastly, we're going to see in verses 23 through 31, recognize and repent of generational sin. We've talked about this. And, and they already went through this. They went through it with Ezra. Um, they went through it prior to this in Nehemiah. In those days, I also saw that the Jews had married women from, Ash, uh, from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And as for their children, here was our clue from earlier. As for their children, half spoke in the language of Ashdod, and none of them was able to speak the language of Judah, but the language of his own people. Now, listen, you could say, well, um, what does God mean by when the Word of God when he's talking about these mixed marriages? And, we, and we've discussed this um, already, is that what happened every time the Israelites married outside of their faith, they ended up worshiping the gods of the pagan families into which they married. So God said, don't give your sons to their daughters, don't give your daughters to their sons. So, so Nehemiah's gone probably, how long does it take for a child to learn a language and start speaking anywhere, you know, like six to 10 years, Nehemiah comes back and he hears the children speaking the language of the pagan families. And the dialects, by the way, it's interesting, um, the Aramaic 
and, and the dialects that they spoke were similar, but there were also distinct differences. And so what is Nehemiah saying here? Every time the children of Israel disobeyed and married outside of their faith, they ended up worshiping the gods of the pagan families and wandering away from God over a generation or two or three until they were no longer worshiping God at all. We've talked about God's plan for marriage, and, and we talked a, a couple weeks ago about what is the Bible really talking about when it talks about being unequally yoked. But here's what Nehemiah does. Um, listen, I contended with them and cursed them. I think he used bad language. No. Nehemiah contended with them and cursed them and struck some of them and pulled out their hair. Can't imagine that. And made them swear by God. Made, right? Swear by God, you shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor take of their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Now, he uses Solomon uh, as an example here. And then we, you know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago or not. But if you go back to the book of Kings, you know that Solomon was the wealthiest man in the Bible who, ever, who lived in, in, in biblical times. And God blessed him. Solomon was wise. At the beginning of Solomon's life, it says Solomon loved God more than anything. And at the end of Solomon's life, the Bible says, and Solomon departed from his God, and Solomon loved women, the women more than he loved God. Oh my. Oh my. Solomon was a player of players. Solomon had a whole, whole, big, big old palace full. Yes. Yes. One of those. He had, I'm not going to use that word, but uh, Sol Solomon had a palace full of women. But you know what happened, what happened, and I don't want to be rude, but what really happened was that Solomon got distracted from following God and walking closely with his God. God had all of Solomon's heart in the beginning, and all these women had Solomon's heart at the end. What a sad, sad testimony. The bookends of Solomon's life, the great man that he was, but the bookends of his life really to me are very sad, are very sad. And so it's interesting to me, did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin regarding these things? Yet among the many nations, there was no king like him. And he was loved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel, Nevertheless, the foreign women caused even him to sin. Don't give your sons to their daughters. Don't give your daughters to their sons. Solomon, the godly wise leader that he was, the end of his life, so sad, right? And Nehemiah, Nehemiah uses Solomon as an illustration for why the children of Israel are to walk closely with their God and live in obedience to him. So in 23 through 31, what we see is we see God restoring families, remembering Solomon, but what we see here at the end of the book, Nehemiah remaining faithful. Mm -hmm. Nehemiah remaining faithful. 
Now, thus, verse 30, I purified them from everything foreign and appointed duties for the priests and the Levites, each in his task. Nehemiah was a wise leader. Nehemiah was a manager. Nehemiah was a hard-working man. Nehemiah, to me, he was a builder, a working man, but he was so wise. And he walked, why, how, where did all this come from? We go back to Nehemiah chapter 1. When I heard these things, I tore my clothes, I mourned, and I fasted, and I prayed for over 40 days. Or was it longer than that? Nehemiah fasted and mourned and prayed. There are 14 prayers recorded in the book of Nehemiah. He was a praying leader. Nehemiah's wisdom and leadership came from his close walk with his God. Even as I say it, it causes me to desire to walk more closely with God. He knew that God was going to hold him responsible. He knew that God was merciful, but he also knew that God was just. He also knew that his people were still living under God's discipline. And even while they're living under God's discipline, they forget about the covenant they had just made with their Lord. And I arranged for the supply of wood at appointed times and for the first fruit. So Nehemiah set everything right one more time. Remember me, oh my God, for good. Remember me, oh my God. Verse, verse 22. Um, remember me, oh my God, and have compassion on me according to the greatness of your mercy. He knew his God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, is a merciful and gracious God. Remember me, oh my God, for the good that I have done. Remember me for this, God. Do not blot out my loyal deeds, which I have performed. Listen, when we are walking closely with our God, when we are walking closely with Jesus and we are serving him, our obedience and our good deeds do matter. Reference 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Do they save us? No. Uh, once you are God's child and once you are saved by his grace and once you, Jesus Christ is your savior and the blood of Jesus covers you, um, um, that is God's grace and God's calling and salvation of you, but your walk with the Lord matters. Solomon said, I mean, wow, Nehemiah says, do not blot out my loyal deeds for the house of my God. Nehemiah was excited about living his life in service to God. I shared with you last week that sometimes I forget, sometimes Sometimes I forget my life is, as a pastor is, I get to do this. I don't have to do this. I get to serve you. I get to preach the word of God. I get to love my community. I don't have to. I get to. And Nehemiah was that kind of leader, and he was that kind of servant, walking closely with his God, not forgetting the covenant relationship that he had with his God. So reading the word of God reveals ongoing sin. Reading the word of God um, is, uh, uh, causes us to restore covenant relationship. And reading the word of God helps me recognize and repent of generational sin. So read the word of God. Remember the word of God. Remember the past. Repent if you need to and don't repeat it. Amen. I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer, and Morgan will come and 
close out the service uh, with some worship.